Welcome to Know My Faith. My guest this time is Dorothy Finlay, uh, who has a fascinating life that I'm looking forward to finding more about. She's written this book, Autobiography, Leapfrogging for God. Dorothy, thank you for joining us. I'm very welcome. Now, your life has been all over the place, which we're going to get mm. to, but go back to as early as you can remember with you and Jesus. Did you grow up in a Christian family? I was grown up in a Christian family. We had a very strong mission, motivation, my uncle intended to be, was a missionary mm -hmm. in, in Singapore, particularly reaching the Malays. And I was interested in um, that. But from the age of five, I knew that God would want me to be a, a nurse and to tell people about Jesus. That was a, the simplest definition from I could give. From the age of what, five? From the age of five. I was in hospital and I had collapsed lungs following being in plaster cast for nearly four years as a problem with my hips. So I was not a candidate that one would expect to yeah. go overseas, but I knew God, and it gave me a determination to see step by step the Lord leading me. Did you go? Did you go straight into the nursing thing when, like, when you left school? Yes, I school? knew I was going to be a nurse. I, and when I got to the end of my secondary schooling, I got my university entrance, which was in itself a miracle. And uh, I was sent to the hospital to have an interview, and they said, "Well, we don't think you'll be able to walk well enough." Right. I said, yes, I can. God wants me to be a nurse, so I'll be a nurse. And they gave me the chance to try. Yeah. And the first three months um, was really hard work. And um, I, one day the matron came to me and said, nurse Danae, she said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to have two weeks off on sick leave and we're going to assess your future from there. So I thought to myself, what shall I do? I shall become a dental nurse. I'll be able to okay. sit on a chair. won't have to walk all this won't have to lift the heavy people. So that's what I planned to do. I went to physio, they gave me two weeks physio. And um, one day in the second week, I remember as clear as daylight, as I was the Lord was speaking to me today, I was going up the nurse's home corridor, up the stairs, and the Lord said to me, what right have you got to change my plan for your oh, life? Oh, that is so, you know, I was talking to somebody last night um, at a Bible study in a backpackers, mm. and we were talking about those first recorded words of Satan in Scripture. Mm. Has God said? Well, you know, well. and that's that's like for you is has God really said you're supposed to be a nurse? Maybe you need to change His plan to be a dental no, nurse. Well, I I knew then that I had the application papers ready to take to the or the post office at that time, and uh, I couldn't somehow get around to doing it. Yep. And I realised that I was doing that exactly. What happened is that on the Friday morning, I was taken, went into the matron to get my outcome at the end of my second week. And she yep. said, well, I've just talked to Dr. Coates Milson. He's the orthopedic man. And he said, Nurse Finlay is motivated to be a nurse. She shall be allowed to continue. And I found out many years later that that date when the Lord spoke to me on those stairs was the very day that he had yep. written to the matron and said I should be allowed to continue. So did did you have like the faith struggles with that, saying I, I thought you'd called me to no, this? No, no, not at all. I, I just knew instantly that I was on the wrong track yeah. and I, that I had to go back. And when I was told by the matron that she'd give me light work, I wouldn't have the heavy lifting and stuff like that. So, I mean, you went from there to missions in many different countries. I had quite a lot of preparation. I, worked, I went and did my midwifery training because I was particularly interested in Afghanistan at the time. And I thought it would be useful to deliver babies. Yep. And then I went to London and did a course in eye nursing, 
because there's a lot of eye disease in Afghanistan. And when I came back, I was with the my, uh, particular denomination that um, they said, well, we can't send you, commend you as a missionary because you can't start churches and you can't do all kinds of things like that. So I thought, here am I. They told me they would do it, and here was I, now yep. 24, well-qualified, well-trained, ready, ready to, to go, it. and I couldn't go. So it happened that Derek Prince was in Tauranga. I thought, I'm going to slip in and see whether this is a devil or not. And so I went, and, and for nine months I went out to the AOG on the Sunday night and the brethren in the morning. And uh, the Lord just clearly showed me and gave me a very specific experience in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which changed yeah. my whole outlook. So this was just a case of having to wait now? Yes, it was probably about two and a half years before. One day I was looking in, I was in Wellesley Street Methodist Church. They had a missions uh, display from different missions. And one of them had a mission statement saying that they were interested in Muslims for 1971. Yep. And my ears just pricked up. And I thought, ah, this is WIC, I know WIC. So I, that day, wrote to the leadership Yep. And arranged that weekend to go down and see them. And I went into candidates' courses that July. So Excellent. it was very quick. The amazing thing, it, I first knew you through Prayer for Israel. That's, That's right, where yeah. I first came across your name. And you still run a, a Prayer I'm for still Israel. I'm a member group, of yeah. group, yeah. Um, But you spent a lot of your time in Muslim countries. Yes, well, God called me to Muslim countries initially. And I didn't ever imagine that I was going to do anything else but serve them in the back blocks or somewhere. Yep. Well, when I, I came to um, go, and Mr. Davies, the director, he said to me, Dorothy, he said, are you sure you should be going to Afghanistan? And I said, well, funny you so mention it, when you, when you were brought to, to our attention in about halfway through the course that there was need to set up a hospital in Yemen, in North okay, Yemen, yep. in Sada. And WIC had been invited to go and do it. Now, what year is this? Because this is 1971. Because Yemen, Yemen used to have a very large Jewish population. It did. It had and the Jewish people there were there from the days of Solomon, really. Yes, yeah. And uh, when I went there, I didn't meet them at first. I, I saw these young men coming into the clinic with long with curls and so forth. And I didn't know who they were, but I to, they told me they were Yehudi, which is... Uh, the way Arabic yes. speakers say Jews. And then we got to know some Yemeni, some Yemeni Jewish women. I went to a wedding and I went to a Passover service. And I learned about these people. They were living a totally Jewish lifestyle in the middle of an Arabic yeah. Islamic society. And they were well respected at that time. Yes. Now most everybody has left the country. But I never really thought of myself going to work with the Jewish people or anything like that. But I was fascinated by the fact that now I'd had a privilege of meeting up with some of Solomon's friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, you must have a, a, a not unique perspective, but for most of us who haven't worked with Jewish people or, or Muslim people or Arab people, you must have a, a, an interesting perspective on, and we'll use the word on the three faiths. We know it's, a, it's mm. two, but... Um, was was that a slow process of, of coming to know? I went through Bible College in New Zealand and did a missions course with emphasis on Islam. And so my time in Yemen, which was seven years, I learned Arabic. I learned to live among a, a non-aggressive Arab society because I had never seen Christians before. 
And so we were able to introduce uh, uh, gradually little aspects of Christian life, but we were told by the government we weren't allowed to practice our religion. We were allowed to practice our religion, sorry, yeah. but we weren't allowed to convert. Yes, yeah. So I really felt by the time God told me it was time, he literally told me overnight that it was time to leave him and he had other things for me to do. And um, I just knew that he had used this time. It had trained me to, in the Arabic language, it trained me to meet Jewish people in the indigenous environment. It trained me to uh, all the medical aspects and living in in a very primitive society. So it was really like a backdrop training for what God had for me in, in store. And what was that? Well, I went back to New Zealand and I was nursing and and one day and the pastor of our Assembly Church, God Church where I went, he said to me, Dorothy, time for you to go back to the mission field, isn't How it? How old were you then? 33. 33, yeah. And um, I thought, well, where could I go? And immediately dropped into my mind Dr. Rajamani a Indian AIG pastor, mm-hmm. he'd been in Tauranga. And I said, I'd like to go and help him. I had no interest in India at all, but yep. I just knew that that was the direction. So I went there for three months. While I was in the balcony of his house, typing up some notes for him, the Lord said to me, I want you to go to Egypt. And I thought, people are going to think I'm completely mad when I go home to New Zealand and say, no, I had yeah. three months in India, now I want to go to Egypt. Yeah, can't what you make up your do? mind? Yeah. What, yeah, that's exactly right. What could I do in Egypt? But I said, Lord, there's a fleece here. If you, when I go back to New Zealand, uh, people are saying to me that we had some contact with Egypt in the, near, uh, in the recent past. I wouldn't take it that that was a direction that the Lord was pointing me. Yep. And lo and behold, I went back, came back home, and the first Sunday I went to everybody. We were meeting in the town hall. Yep. I was so excited. I said, Dorothy, we've had a pastor from Cairo oh come goodness. and speak. Last week, yep. I thought, goodness, it couldn't have been any, any more accurate. So I took a few weeks to tell the pastor. And then he said, oh, great idea. I'll write to him and he'll see if he can use you in Cairo. So that's what happened. I eventually went to Cairo. I went um, just really as a helper, working with the Arab church, the Egyptian church. So this is with the Coptic church? No, it was the Egyptian um, Assembly of God church, actually. And um, first of all, it was the Church of Christ. And they introduced me to the pastor, young pastor, uh, who again, quite miraculously, came up to me. We had to go to a conference um, in Cairo when I first went there, and I met this pastor that was coming from America, and uh, he said, well, he said, I told the pastor of Church of Christ that you're available. So I was expecting him maybe to come and tell me, you know, give me a job to do something like that. And uh, nothing happened. One day went by, second conference day went by, third conference day went by, and just at the end of the third day, the young um, Egyptian pastor who was translating for him he came in and he said, oh, he said, um, do you take ladies' meetings? Now, I had dressed up like a Muslim woman. I didn't realise I was a Muslim woman, but I thought, well, I had my head covered, had a long dress and um, long sleeves, yeah. and I really looked, I was particularly correct. 
but unfortunately, it's not how the Christian uh, Jews, uh, Christian Arabs uh, dress. You're right. And so he said, I was very afraid, but God told me, go and tell, ask her if she takes ladies' meetings. So it began two and a half months of intensive preaching. Had you done that before? No. I've done everything, almost everything in my life, never having done it before. Did, did you hear God chuckling in the background? I'm sure he was, but I was, <laughs> I was too busy so thinking about I, what I had to oh, do. Dorothy, if you only knew what I have planned for you. Exactly. Well, that's only the beginning, really, of my life, yeah. because... I um, was there in 1980, 80, oh, 81, sorry. And um, November 81, three times in a row, God woke me up from deep sleep to say, I want you to go to the place I put your name, my name. And knowing the Bible, it says in Deuteronomy, about three chapters, it says, go to the place that I put my name. Yes. So I thought the only place I could think of is Jerusalem. So I arranged... Two or three weeks later, and packed my bags, went to Jerusalem by bus over the Sinai Peninsula. And it was like the uh, spies uh, spying out the land. Yeah, I had yeah. six weeks. I, I stayed with a Christian group in Jerusalem. We went up to the Negev. We went down to Negev, sorry. Went up to Lebanon, all over the place. And I had amazing opportunities. And I saw St. John Eye Hospital there. Yeah. And I thought, ah, eyes. I've got training in eyes. I've trained Maybe God in that. Bring yes. me back. So I went. I came back to New Zealand for three years and was AOG Church of a secretary for three years. And one afternoon, uh, God spoke to me. He said, "It's time to go back to Israel, contact St John's, and get a job." Yep. So I did. And so, I, uh, 1985, I went back to Jerusalem, and I started nursing in St. John Eye Hospital. In a, it's an Arab hospital which has got half Arabic Christians and half Arabic Muslims. So it was a good environment. And I had one year there, and, I, and the Lord led me to work with the Arab Baptist Church. They were very astonished. In, in was, Jerusalem? In Jerusalem, in Jeru yes. Okay. They were very astonished that, me, that uh, a foreigner, and they called yep. me a blue-eyed blonde, because yep. I'm quite blonde compared with their dark skin and um, that I understood their songs and I could worship. And the interesting thing was that the pastor was from Egypt, so I understood the dialogue. Gradually, I began to get to know some friends that were working among the Jewish people, and uh, it was difficult to work with the Jews and the Arabs in Jerusalem, simply because um, Christians met on Friday, Saturday, a Sunday, and Jews met on a Saturday, and Muslims, and Muslims meet on, on Friday. Friday. Yeah. So you could spend almost a half a week going to the different churches. So I had to make my mind up. And, I, and some of them were very suspicious of me. Some of the Jewish people were, why was I interested in the uh, Arabs? The, the, Arab, the Arab Christians met on Friday? No, they, no, they met on Sunday. The, they sorry. met on Sunday. Okay. Yes, yep. they met on Sunday. So you had Muslims so on Friday. Muslims on Friday. Jews on Saturday and Christians on Sunday. And I was attending this Christian church, so I was right. involved in Sunday. When I began to get to know some Jewish people, I found the most fascinating thing that they interested in was the fact that I'd worked with Yemeni Jews. Right. It may be one of them. Even though I was, you know, could only speak, I could not speak much more than um, a few words in Hebrew yeah. uh, at that time. Um, toward 1988, no, 87, I worked in Bethlehem University, training nurses there. 
but the first intifada came along and uh, I had to, they closed the university down. I lived in Jerusalem and had to travel back to the Fords, so I couldn't travel back to the Fords. So I thought, what will I do? And I began to pray about it, and the Lord said, go to work in Hadassah. Hadassah is a big Jewish uh, hospital. Yes. A very big hospital, 1,500 beds, and it's a major training school in Israel, in Jerusalem. And so I made, I had a nursing friend, who, a Christian friend who was working there. She said, we need someone that could work with the Arabic people, because at that time, um, people from Gaza were coming up from Jerusalem for, for surgery and for treatment. Yeah. And many of them had my grandparents with them. And uh, they said, we need someone that can translate and work with the Arabs just as well as the Jews. So I started the process of um, getting a job. With nursing knowledge nursing as well. Nursing knowledge yeah. too. Um, at first they said, no, you can't, we can't give it to you. You've got to write to the New Zealand police and get a clearance. Okay. So I did that, and they said, no, we can't give you a clearance. We can only give it to the Ministry of Inferior. And so I went to them, and they said, well, we can't do that. So well, I they thought, had well, no idea who you were. You, no, you'd so I so decided I'd been in Jerusalem long enough to go to the Israeli police. And I went to the Israeli police for a clearance, and they said, no, we can't do that. No. We can only do the other. <laughs> and this went on back and forth for about six weeks, quite amazingly, really. And at the end of six weeks, I... Um, I got a reply back from the Ombudsman in New Zealand that the only proof he could give of my integrity was that I had no driver's licence infringement. Right. So that was no <laughs> that use was to it. the Ministry of yeah. Interior. So I went back to them and said, look, I'm stuck. Here I've got a job waiting for me and they want me to nurse and I can't get to it because you won't give me the work permit. Or they said, are you like the British? Oh, I said, yes, New Zealand government is just like the British government. Now, yep. give, or, give or take a little bit. And I said, oh, well, we've been put in an awkward spot because all the British consulate staff, we, we asked them to get clearances and the foreign office would not give them clearances. So we had to make sure, give them a visa. Okay. So, so you got a visa. visa. <laughs> Next day, I started working at NASA, so it was not before. It was a, an interesting time. I worked for nearly two years in Hadassa, and uh, first of all, I lived in the old city with an Arab lady and used to come across by bus overnight. It was quite a long way from the old city over to Ankaram. Yep. Anyway, I thought the Lord wanted me to get to know him closer, the Jewish lifestyle, so... I asked them if they could put me in an accommodation close in the, on the Jewish side. So I did nearly nine months living there. What was your understanding of the connection with Christianity and Judaism in those days? Because I, I know you have a very clear understanding now. Well, I had a very good Bible teaching and training and use. And I, I was aware that certain terms that we use in Christianity did not mean the same thing either in Jews or Muslims. And you had to be careful and cautious and that going bang into it by telling them that giving your heart to Jesus makes absolutely no sense whatsoever yeah. to a Jewish person because they don't understand the concept or anything like that. And I realised that I was gradually getting to know the Hebrew Scriptures more. I began to learn a little bit of Hebrew and I felt that the... Um, those Christians that were effective in Israel were the ones who 
went alongside the Jewish people rather than at them. At, yes. Yeah. This is a very important thing. And uh, many times I heard stories of people, you know, accosting Jews. And this is not, not the way to do it. No. Nor is it really what God would do because the Lord, even the Lord himself only, he worked with the people and walked alongside them. So for both Jews and Arabs, it's much the same principle, but they're from a different angle. It's, it's very bad sales technique. I mean, you've been to Israel a number of times. We've only been once, but you walk down, is it St. David Street in the old mm -hmm. city with the, with the, the hawkers mm -hmm. on both sides? Oh, you need to buy this, you need to buy this, buy this, buy this. <laughs> and, it, and it completely puts you off. And, and from a, from a, from a non-believer's point of view, if the Christian is mm -hmm. coming in saying, you need to believe this, you need to believe mm -hmm. this, it's, it's so off-putting. Well, you see, the Jews have a long history of um, Christian anti-Semitism. Yes. We don't think of it as that. We don't know that. We, 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 don't, we don't know it. In our, in our church history, we're not taught it. And so they don't realise that when you uh, approach a Jewish person, they are, are very, very alert to the possibility that you're trying to get them. Yeah. And, uh, even, and so you, the main way to reach them is by friendship. Yeah. It's simple, it, simple friendship evangelism, a one-to-one. It's not something, you know, a Christians in the West have large crusades and things like that. None of that kind of style of ministry yeah. is effective either with the Arab or the Jew. Because when we look particularly at European history with the Jewish, it was forced conversion. That's right. And so many of them, and I remember reading a story recently of, uh, of a family where the, the father said, we are going to convert, convert to Christianity mm. because it's safer for us. Mm. Um, well, many Jews did give a semblance of, yes. of conversion for their protection, those in Spain and other countries where they're under great persecution. But on the whole, I would say the majority of them kept kosher, they kept the Shabbat. Very quietly. And they kept um, uh, Passover yeah. and, uh, and Yom Kippur. And they did it in such a way that it was not, uh, made sure the curtains were closed and that sort of yeah. thing. So how did you find it as um, working with, uh, uh, and I don't want to be, it's, it's not, not like subversive fifth column in the background with these no. Jewish people, but obviously you're a Christian, obviously you'd like to see these uh, orthodox and secular Jewish people coming to know their Messiah. Mm. How did you find that? Well, for myself personally, I didn't have the privilege of actually needing any Jewish person to the Lord. But I have the privilege of getting to know some quite eminent Jews. And one day um, I had gotten, I had read on the internet an Arat Shiva, an Israeli newspaper, that this man, Yehuda Glick, was going to um, give his job up as a, in the Ministry of Ashkelon and because the uh, time of the, in 2005, when they had the disengagement from Gaza, yes. his wife's brother was a, was a rabbi there. And so he said, uh, and I, he wrote in this letter that he was going to trust the God of Israel to give him a suitable work. And something in the expression, trust the God of Israel, made me think, oh, I should write and tell, talk to him. So I did. And I sent him a Purim package. It was happened to be over the end of March when 
and they celebrate Purim. Purim so yeah, yeah. I sent a Purim package by the internet and a, a message with my email address. And he wrote me back a astonished letter. And, and that began a, quite a strong friendship. And, and to this day, I met up with his wife and his family. I met up with his mother. And the mother, why I'm telling you this is because his mother, the first time he met me, spent two and a half hours uh, drilling me as to whether I was going to be preaching at his okay, son or not. Yep, yeah. And so she was quite satisfied that I was not. And yet I, the thing is, they need to be taught from the Old Testament. Now, I think this is a great mistake that most Christians have, that they don't realise that the Old Testament, because it's called the Old Testament, it was only called the Old Testament by Jesuit priests in 12th century AD. Prior to that, it was the Brihadasha, um, uh, which is the New Testament attached to the Old Testament, one book. Yes. And, of course, the Jews, they don't recognise the, um, the New Testament as such. But the gospel is explained explicitly in the Old Isn't Testament. Isn't that what Paul did? Mm-hmm. Paul went round all the synagogues right. teaching them. from, he didn't teach from the New Testament because mm-hmm. he wrote half of it. Because he taught the from Jews, the Old Testament. They don't really need to be converted. They have to have their eyes open to yes. the Messiah. Yeah. There's a very big difference. They don't need to be made to become Christians. I remember sitting in a home group one time and um, one, of the, one of the new members in the church was mm-hmm. talking to a, an older in, a Fijian Indian man mm-hmm. who, and he asked his conversion story because he came mm-hmm. out of the Hindu. And I said, you know, what, what we do is, is we want to see Hindus convert to Christianity. We want to see Muslims convert to Christianity. We want to see atheists convert. We want to see Buddhists convert. We want to see Jews convert. Whoa, stop. Mm-hmm. That's wrong. Mm. You know, the Jews don't need to convert. It's their it's their religion that that we're actually joining. Yes, that's right. With. It's a big big thing that Paul Paul brought out in Romans and that we're we're being grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel. Yeah. Now, some people today look on Israel and they see it as a a secular country and so many issues that not not much different from anywhere else. But in God's eyes, they are special to him. And back in Numbers, I think it's um, 23, something like that, where Balak was asked to curse yes. the children of Israel, he said, but I see a nation of people apart over that are separate. And these are what the problem with the Jewish people throughout their centuries is that they wanted to be like the nations so that they're not... Uh, um, so this, yeah, and discriminated against. That's right, yeah. But they can't be because they can't they're God's be like, special and people. Every time they've tried, yeah. there's been problems. So, um, and I we think, forget about the fact that even in the Old Testament, when, you, when we look at the nations of Israel and Judah as separate nations, mm-hmm. they weren't always, and Israel in particular was never a, a godly nation. No, no. Uh, Judah was sometimes godly under the good kings and sometimes very, very secular and evil, and yet. They were still God's people, and yet those nations that came against Israel or Judah were still punished Mm -hmm. by God for coming against his people. So if we look at the modern state of Israel, you go, no, it's not God-honoring. It's a secular, I mean, Tel Aviv is the, the, let's let's not say anything, but it's, you know, but they're still, it's still Israel. It's still God's chosen people. Mm. God's chosen people because they are are like a litmus paper of God's purposes for the world. Yeah. And, you know, even most Jews don't want to be chosen at all. 
because they realised that it's the chosenness <laughs> that makes the problems for That's them. That's what Tevye says in, in Fiddler on the Roof, isn't yeah. it? He says, just once couldn't you choose somebody else? That's <laughs> right, you absolutely know. is. How do you find it with um, when you're talking with people, because I know at the moment you're, you're fellowshipping in an Anglican mm. church, mm. Uh, you've been through various different denominations or around different denominations. How do you find it when you're talking to New Zealand Christians about Israel, what's the reaction? Um, most are, are abysmally ignorant because there's a real problem in today in recognising that the Israel of today is the same Israel as of the Bible. That, then, that because the Palestinians and the Arabs uh, have given, done such a good job of convincing the world that uh, these Jews had come, run away from the Holocaust and they stolen their land. Yep. That this is a um, um, narrative that is majority, even Christians understand. Now, if you're talking it from the Bible, they can understand it perfectly, but you're talking about it from the real people, they can't see any collection. And I think this is something that's really important. Why I mentioned the question of the Old and New Testament is because many of the errors, like replacement theology, supersessionism, comes from the fact that they see that the Jews rejected Jesus, then of course he must have rejected them. Yeah. But there's no implication in that because Paul said, no, they're not rejected, but they're beloved for the patriarch's God, God sake. God forbid, he says. God forbid, because for the patriarch's sake. And this is an important thing. And so those chapters of 9, 10 and 11 in Romans, um, I don't think many people understand them at all, but unless they really see them as Paul teaching the Roman church about the Jewish people and that this is what, what happens. So Gentiles are born again, they're in, born into the family of God and they are grafted into the olive tree. Now the Jews, if they, they don't know that they're in that olive tree for a long time, but they, yeah. when they do, it, they just recognise, it's a matter of recognising the Messiah. They have to know. And, you know, when the Lord says he's going to come back and they're going to say, Baruch HaBabashem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That terminology does not fit with the <laughs> no. Christian, uh, I've got to be saved kind of That's, image. Yeah. But it's what, how God looks on his people. Yeah. And he looks on them and they, he looks on the Gentile Christians and judges them on their attitude to the Jews because there's not many diff much difference between... Well, that's very much the sheep and the goats, isn't it? it Whatever is you've done so. to the least of these, my brethren. Mm, that's right. Um, of course, in Israel now there are uh, probably about 30,000 Messianic believers or believers in, in Yeshua, who's a Hebrew name for yep. Jesus, and uh, many don't like the name Messianic, but on the whole it's the name that's given to distinguish them from every other kind of Judaism. So when you're talking with, if we go back to the, the, the Kiwis, when mm. you're talking with them, how many, how many of them get it? Or are they, are they closed, you know, there's a, the arms well, folded and don't want to know? Let me take the experience of going to this Holy Trinity Church, which is an Anglican church, and I, um, I went there because God told me he wanted me to go there for two reasons. He wanted me to establish prayer groups for Israel, mm -hmm. and he wanted me to be involved in a future revival, if there was such a, that he was going to bring. So I began to, um, at first people were a bit suspicious of me because I came from a Pentecostal background. Yep. Um, but then they saw that, that, that I was quite safe. 
<laughs> and gradually I, I said to the pastor, I said, could I have a time for a special prayer group for Israel, prayer for Israel? And he gave me the freedom to be part of a life group yep. that runs that. So that has been running now since um, oh, probably about 2012. Okay. And uh, we have about 12, 15 people come. And I also am on the intercessory program where once a week, once a month or so, I get a chance to uh, read intercessory prayers. And I always include praying for the peace in Jerusalem. So gradually people have begun to look on Dorothy as the Jewish girl, yep. as the person who's, um, who's uh, um, you know, any go-to person for Israel. And gradually there's been a much a great warmth Many people from the Holy Trinity have been to Israel now, and uh, including the vicars that were previous yeah. vicars. The next one is coming in the 26th of June, and I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't very open to Israel. He's been through Faith Bible College, I understand, and so right. we'll just see what happens. Um, I think, on the whole, people are interested. If, you, if I worked in a supermarket and talked about Israel, and they'd be interested because of the history of what I've been up to there. Yes. I was looking after children with heart surgery and all kinds of interesting things. So gradually see them as not the evil intention. Or I'll tell, if I think they're very aggressive to the Jews, I'll tell them about something to do with the Arabs. That's a blessing. Yeah. And uh, I know several Arab pastors who are very, very um, evangelical and they love the, the Jewish people. Yes. And they meet together regularly and for prayer and fellowship. So there's no, not an uh, us and them in the real body of Christ. Uh, as I mentioned before, when we were there, the, um, the fellowship that, or the, the church that we were associated with had moved into a new building. Mm -hmm. And um, Yossi Ovadia, who was the, the leader of the fellowship, mm -hmm. and uh, Anis, I can't remember Anis's surname, um, but he is an Arab Christian pastor mm. and the both of them came together to plant an olive tree That's to right. say we are brothers we worship the same god That's uh, right. although I, I know it's it's there's a different dynamic there for the arab believers because you have yeah, to say Gentiles. i'm a gentile arab worshiping the jewish god That's right. in israel in the land mm, of it's israel a, it's a very wonderful arrangement what would you say if to somebody who's either watching this uh podcast or listening to this podcast mm. Just to somebody who is a, a Christian to, to get them on the road to understanding Israel and understanding the, the Jewishness of our faith. I think it's very important that they understand and read the Old Testament, particularly the prophets. And the current environment in which we live in today fits very well into um, Ezekiel um, from 33 through mm -hmm. to 39. Yeah. And uh, there's many things that are similar. There's Psalm 83, which talks about the um, nations around about Jerusalem, Israel wanting to destroy and say that Israel is no longer a people and these kind of things. Um, it's very important to understand that God's covenants are not, uh, are never change. But the, and the one in particular, one one made with, Moses, with Abraham, is unconditional. Yes. Because it was, um, it was cut, as it's described in the Bible, um, on the basis that Abraham was in a deep sleep. So he had no part in, it, part in the decision making. Uh, unconditional, unconditional and everlasting. Everlasting, that's right. 
And, uh, the, but there are um, covenants which seem to be conditional because they're conditional on the, um, the, problem, the fulfillment of the blessings of Israel yeah. are dependent on their obedience. And so throughout history, you've got stories of um, people following God and then turning away, following and turning away, no different from what is happening today. Yeah. And uh, yet in, in Ezekiel, it talks very clearly that at the end time, God is, um, God is still the God of the Jews and the Gentiles are, bought, are grafted into grafted that. Grafted in with the Jews and so, yeah, to the promises. Um, part of the problem with the replacement theology is the fact that they, they don't believe that God can, is uh, still saving the Jews. Yeah. Because they, and the Christians have taken over, but there's nothing in the Bible to suggest no, that. No, no, you've, you've got to bring that, and that's that super, supersessionism, you've mm. got to bring that into the Bible. There's lots of yeah. doctrines, and lot, there's quite a few key Bible teachers that unfortunately uh, follow that line. Yeah. And they are very ineffective. I've been, I used to, I knew people in Bethlehem Bible College, which is a particular headquarters of uh, supersessionist yes. theory. And I bet, used to go there, I knew the peace and the lectures and the pastor there that judge. And it really concerned me because they uh, could not see anything now um, to do ever good about the Jews. They would officially be quite good, but in their heart, one in particular pastor, his family, they were under some certain just, um, problems when the initiation of the State of Israel, they, there were certain problems and people lost their homes and things yeah. like that. And there's, but it's built into him a, a bitter spirit. Yes. And that bitter spirit has hindered the yeah. ministry. Yeah, yeah. Dorothy, look, thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, is that um, much? That, yeah, we've, we've <laughs> talked for almost an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been great. And I hope that, that people have, have listened to what you said and, and maybe opened their spirits, if you will, or their minds to searching a little bit deeper and finding out a little That's bit right. more. That's right. Well, I think it's very important to have a, an open heart and to love people. I mean, the scripture says that God love is shed abroad in our hearts. And if our, his love is shed abroad in our hearts, it reaches to everybody, yeah. Jew and Gentile. So if you'd like a copy of the book, then uh, click the link below which will uh, give you the details of that. Dorothy, thank you for your time. You're welcome. And uh, thank you for watching and thank you for listening. If you'd like to find out more, simply follow us on Facebook or subscribe on YouTube or go to our website, which is knowmyfaith.net. God bless you.